0: Well, like she said, my name is Brian, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm wearing my disguise today, my Clark Kent disguise, my glasses, so you probably don't recognize me. No, I'm just joking, because that would mean I was Superman, and it's more like if if you're from the 80s, the greatest American hero, you know, the superhero guy that was always running into walls and bungling, that's more of who I am, so it's, you know, it's one of those things, but I live with it, I know me, I love me, no, I'm just joking. So anyways, but welcome guys, we're excited that you're here this morning, and I just want to open up and pray, because here's the deal. We go through life, we go to work, we come to church, we do all these things, but no matter where you're at, there is a treasure that is right before you. But so, so many times we're lost in whatever we're doing. Oh, I'm going to church, I'm getting the kids ready, I'm, you know, I'm singing a song. We forget the greatest treasure that's always with us, that's always present, that holds the whole universe together. I want to pray to him right now. If you'll just pray with me. God, We don't want to miss out on who you are. We don't want to miss out that you're already present, that you're already here. God, that your presence fills the world and the universe, God. And we miss out on it so often. So, Lord, be here today. Let your grace be so thick in this room, Lord. Let your presence be here. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's a question. Have you lost perspective in life? Maybe you feel buried by circumstances, money, worried about what the future holds. You see, I lose perspective often. As a parent, I'm more concerned about what others think of my kids' behavior and how it reflects on me than wanting them to learn for the right reasons because I love them. I do stuff to get recognized. I compare myself. You see, we all lose perspective. Sometimes we lose sight of the most important things, and sometimes we choose something that is good over something that is greater. It's like we're groping for seaweed while a pearl of great worth is just within our grasp, but it's hidden in this dirty shell, that we choose not to see it or don't understand its worth or the treasure within. You see, Jesus constantly wrestled with his disciples, the 12 disciples, and his followers' perspectives. They often struggled with who would be the greatest, have positions of power, They wrestled with jealousy, comparing themselves to each other. Who did the most and who would be rewarded more for serving Christ more? Sounds like us. Jesus would help them get their eyes back onto what truly mattered. He shifted their focus as they wrestled with perspective. Over and over again, they wrestled with the same things, just like us. They couldn't see the bigger picture, the greater perspective. Their thoughts centered on themselves. And like us, they often miss the greater truth at hand because they couldn't see past their own noses. Let's call it what it is, self-centeredness. And it caused them all kinds of heartache. Do you remember those 3D magic pictures? I'm going like to show my age here. It's a 90s thing. That's almost like 20 years ago. It's crazy. Like, I don't know about I mean, but it's crazy. It's, I remember going to malls with my friends, and there was actually these little stores, and they would have these pictures of them. It sounds weird today with all the technology and all the craziness we have. But I remember going with my friends, and we would stare at these pictures forever. It felt like we were just in there forever, and I was so frustrated. I could never, ever see them. And there was always that one friend that was like, oh, I see it's a rose or whatever. You're like, you know, you want to smack him. You're like, whatever. You know, always that one person. But frustrated, I bought a magic eye book and I squinted, just, my eyes were just pouring water for hours trying to see that picture underneath the surface picture that you see on the screen. It was so hard to see what was beyond the surface of the picture. But here's the deal, once I got it and once you get it, you begin not only to see the picture, but see it with more and more clarity as your eyes see past the surface picture it's it was like the whole world was opened up suddenly why didn't i see this before that's what a perspective change is like it's hard it doesn't feel natural it takes work and truthfully it doesn't seem as real as the surface perspective sometimes it's hard to see god's perspective it's the same with us sometimes i feel like i hear truth a thousand times but it's hard to begin to see past my own perspective my own circumstances My own selfishness. Honestly, we don't see past the surface because we are usually looking out for ourselves. Numero uno. Jesus told a parable to his disciples when they asked, What's in it for me, Jesus? What's in it for numero uno? We find it in Matthew 21 through 16 if you want to grab your iPad or whatever you have, your iPhone, and turn. You see, they had been wrestling with this idea of rewards. Rewards. If I follow you, Jesus, if I live the right way, will I get to be big news? They ask, Lord, what is the bottom line for those who have given up everything to follow you? Essentially, they ask, what will I get out of this? What's my reward? And it's not a bad question. We all want to know what the bottom line is. Almost everything we look at in life, our relationships, the things we buy, we ask the question, how will this benefit me? Will it be to my advantage? Even the, quote, good deeds we do are often done to make ourselves look good. Hey, did you see me give that dollar to that guy at the traffic light? I'm so good. Just want to hug me. It's joking. (laughs) Ultimately, we say this. If I do this, it will get me, you fill in the blank. Well, Jesus answered this, their question with a parable. And it's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. So let's take a look at it. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, and the landowner represents God in this, who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in the vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. And a denarius was an excellent wage. Roman soldiers made this. You could feed your family. It was more than enough. And he sent them into the vineyard, his vineyard. In the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing, He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again in the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, and did the same thing all throughout the day. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing out here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, and in the Jewish law and in that day, you always paid the worker at the end of the day, the the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and received a denarius, the 11th hour. So when those who came were hired first, and this is really who the story is about right here, they expected to receive more. Catch that. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us. Catch that. Equal to us. Who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? And it says, take your pay, but I wanted to put up in there because that's what the Greek says. We'll get to that a little later. Take up your pay and go. It was a picture when the foreman put all their pay on a table and they would come and pick it up. Take up your pay and go. They won't pick it up. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious Jealous, because I'm generous. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Jesus basically says, yes, you'll get out of something out of this. There is reward for the work that's to be done. There is a reward because you follow me. You see, in this parable, God is calling people to work in his kingdom. He is saying, come, know me, be a part of the work that I do. There is reward because we follow him. But don't miss out. And this is what I think Jesus is saying. Don't miss out on what's greater because you are caught up in the rewards. What you think is gold, those rewards, may turn out to be hay compared to the greater prize. What is the greater prize? I love the book of Job. It's a book in the Bible Actually, I don't love the book of the Job, or book of Job. When you read it, when you know the story, you're like, dude, I never want to go through what he went through. So let's get that straight real fast, just in case God's like, oh, you like the book of Job? Cool, because gonna, I'm going to bust it out on you. If you know what I'm talking about, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hear it. But I love the book of Job. Here's a man that wants to do what God wants him to do, and he is blessed for it. God rewards him throughout his life with physical and spiritual blessings. In the beginning of the book, we see Satan coming to God, to ask if he can mess with Job. You know, just beat on him a little, like Brian Legge would say. He likes to beat on people. You see, Job was considered the most righteous man living at that time. He had the picture-perfect life. Riches, big family with kids that never scream at the Hebrew Walmart if they had one. (laughs) Sorry. But Satan's like, look, look, God, this dude only follows you because you blessed him. You give him all this stuff, You've rewarded him for doing the right things, but he only does the right things because you gave him the upgrade on his Caribbean cruise. It says that in the Hebrew. You know what? Take it all away and boom. Job no like you, God no more. Look, God, he doesn't serve you because he loves and trusts you. It's because you bless him. Satan was basically saying to God and of Job and really of us, Nobody serves you, God, just because you are you. Job goes through this massive trial. Sickness, family woes, friends that aren't friends, trying to tell him he must have sinned for all those bad things to happen because surely when you do the right things, God will be pleased with you and life will be perfect. It rocks Job's world. He doubts God like we would, like any of us would. We wonder where God is also. Does he love me? We often equate God's love with rewards, blessings, and a trouble-free life. I want to say that again. We often equate God's love with rewards, blessings, and a trouble-free life. But here's the questions that we find in that parable and in the book of Job. You see, it begs the question, why do you serve the Lord? Why do I serve the Lord? Do I serve him, love, and trust him when all around me collapses? When I lose my job, my house, down to one car? When my kids are sick? When my wife or husband walks out? Do I serve him out of fear, out of duty, or maybe what I can get out of it? Prestige, power, position, money? To be seen by others? To secure my salvation? You see, we find out quickly what we believe about God, when things go wrong. Trials test our resolve. Are we in it for the long haul? Just like you, I've often blamed him or asked what I did wrong over some of the most petty stuff and really over some heartbreakers. We also find out why we serve him when others are praised for what they do. It is very telling of our hearts when others are praised. Are we jealous, like in the parable? What about when things are going good? When we have stuff, nothing wrong with stuff. God gives us stuff, material blessings. You know, sometimes it's the very blessings, though, that rob us of the true blessing, that treasure. What about when people give me attention for serving God? You see, the parable is clear. God has given us work to do, each one of us, in his kingdom. Are you okay when you don't have what the world or other Christians think as the prestigious position that great work to be done. We are often looking for that special way to serve Him that sets us apart, the glitz and the glamour. But what about, what, what about raising your kids for Christ? When did that become unglamorous? Or encouraging others? Or giving to people when no one else is looking? But no, we want the big stuff. I have to hike to the Himalayas and convert Bigfoot into a Christian, record a Christian CD with Bigfoot, and hope that people say, wow, his parents must have walked closely with God. Just joking on the Bigfoot thing. It sounds silly, but we do that. We look at others and say, ah, oh, he or she is so blessed. Or we want that big way to serve, not the little things that we think are insignificant. While often we are smug in our own self-righteousness, I deserve more, I did this, I am great, or at least we want others to think we are great. It's like Eddie Murphy, I'm just so blessed. (laughs) It's interesting how we define blessing compared to Jesus. Listen, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are persecuted, who don't have a place to lay their heads who mess up so bad and come crawling back to God, barely able to look up to heaven, who give their last penny to live off of. We're usually, if we're truthful, although we don't say it out loud and our intellect knows different, say, blessed are those who have it easy, don't pay the consequences, are always happy and never sick, make sure they don't sin and get it right the first time and are prosperous. Do you see attention emerging? Back to our parable. Let's take a look at those who were hired first. That parable is about them. Their reaction. And it was a bad reaction. They're the ones that had the problem. They're kind of like the people in the customer service line at Walmart. Impatient. Indignant. Think they owed the world. Okay, correction. Kind of like me in the customer service line at Walmart. It's easy to look down upon those who are hired first. What they said. But I think their attitude is revealing of ours at times. I'm going to catch a few highlights in there. If you remember, if you want to look in your scripture, verses 10 through 15, it says they were expected, they expected to receive more. Guys, the moment we think we are owed anything, we are in a heap of trouble. You see, they had forgotten how desperate they were when the landowner, the, the master first found them. How desperate any of those workers who were hired were just to have work. This is how they would feed their families at the end of the day how they would sustain life. They were picked out of many workers to come and work, but they had lost perspective of that. Instead of being grateful, they were lost in what they thought they were owed beyond what the landowner said he would give them. We do this. We forget how Christ found us, how desperate we were. We get caught up in serving, and it's about what we're owed and how we've done more than the person next to us given more, fed more, prayed more, sacrificed more, so I should get, you name it. We need to go back to those moments when God rescued us. I have several moments when I can look back and say, why God, you know the darkness of my heart, my utter sin? I'm nobody. I walked away from you. Read philosophy books that said God is dead. Smoked weed, did drugs. Why would you look my way? When we forget his amazing grace, we grumble against God, like it said in the parable. It ceases to be about what God has done for us and becomes about what we can do. It amazes me how quickly we can fall into this trap. We have to always go back to why we were hired or saved in the first place. Because he is good. Sometimes the work God gives us to do becomes more important than the relationship. Think about that. Sometimes the work that God gives you to do becomes more important than the relationship with himself. When that happens, we get caught up in the trap of my own hands did this. I was the brilliant one who made it happen. Therefore, I deserve greater pay. You see, it is undeserved, the love that God lavishes upon us as well as the work that he gives us to do. I get to serve God. It's a privilege. You and I are not great. He is great in us. He gets the credit. It goes on to say that they grumbled against the landowner. You see, suddenly we start to complain about God. The focus is on us, so we blame him for not giving us what we deserve. When we forget what he's done for us, it turns gratefulness into whining. God, you don't really love me because you didn't get me that job, or whatever else it is. We've all seen kids, little kids, not want what, what they have in their hands, but want what somebody else has. Just like that, we miss out on the amazing blessings that are in our hands. We take it all for granted, and we can't enjoy what God has for us, and he wants us to enjoy it. And worse, we grumble against the one who is always good, who never fails or forsakes us, and gives us what we need, not always what we want. He knows what's best for us. We think we are something when we are nothing. But here's the deal, when we whine, we're saying to God, the landowner, you don't know what you're doing and we shake our finger at God, I've done it. But I love in the parable, because even though they had lost perspective, he still calls them friends. He's gracious. But it's this very attitude that leads them to see themselves as better than other workers. In a very telling statement, if you remember, they said, you have made them equal to us. They're saying, hey, we worked harder than they did. We deserve the special pay. We want to be recognized. We are better. Question. Question. Do you think you are better than others? Do you look down on others? I often hear conversations that just dis- destroy a person, leaders, coworkers, picking apart their weaknesses. I would have done it differently than so-and-so. Look, all your gifts and abilities are from the Lord. They are for His purpose and glory. You aren't more special than the guy next to you. In fact, you need the guy next to you. We need each other. You see, they were making the point while missing the point when they said equal to us. God loves people. And as far as people are concerned, with salvation and his love, we are all on the same playing field. God is more concerned about equal standing than rewards deserved. He's more about equal standing with people than rewards deserved. And just for clarity about rewards, those rewards, they're based on his generosity, generosity. Not based on what we think we deserve. Rewards are in his hands. All of them are gracious and not deserved. When we strive to be better than others, we end up comparing ourselves. And we get that martyr complex. Look what they said. They bore the burden of the heat of the day. And it's a word picture of a scorching wind. They did some seriously hard work. They're looking at the guys that worked an hour like, what is up with that? You can't blame them. Christ followers, question for you. Do you look down on others because you do more? Search your heart. Why do you do more? Do you deserve more because of your blood, sweat, and tears? I really believe that God accounts for the blood, sweat, and tears in the end. But when we lose sight of the one who gave it all, of why we work for him, who bore the sin of every man, woman, and child upon his shoulders, a burden that only he could carry we fall into the trap when we don't remember it makes our scorching work that we do pale in comparison we think about what he did he worked harder than any of us ever could and it's his work that we rely on not our own we willingly choose the scorching wind the exhaustion because he chose the scorching wind of the cross I love in the book of Revelation it's the last book in the Bible it's a picture when they lay their crowns before the throne. As to say, God, you gave us this reward, this crown of victory. But you know what? All glory to you. You are the one that accomplished this. And as Isaiah twenty-six twelve says, Lord, you have established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. In the New Testament says, we were created for good works in Christ Jesus, meaning those works are done in Christ through his power and strength. Even the rewards, the crown, whatever it is, we will not be able to boast. But boast in Christ alone. The heart of a servant always goes back to God. If I've accomplished anything, it's because it's not because of me, but because of you. You see, they didn't have perspective. The landowner, the master, God in this parable is saying, I'm not being unfair to you. They were more concerned with what they thought was fair than being concerned for others. They couldn't see why he was doing what he was doing. God is more concerned about people than profit. He paid all of them, not what they deserved, but what they needed. Their families would be taken care of. of. Regardless, what God does for all of us, and it always looks different from person to person, is it generous and it's a gift, completely undeserved. Not something we should compare ourselves to each other or think we're owed. The problem, again, is when we think that God owes us anything, do you lose perspective? And here's the greater thing, and I I want you guys to catch this. They, They were seeing themselves as hirelings, as workers, not as children of God. And that's the question. Do you see yourself as a child of God, delighting in your father's work? Or do you see yourself as a hireling that is owed a wage. There's a huge difference. Don't miss this. Are you a worker who just works for the wage or an heir, catch that, an heir who owns all his father's things? There's a difference. You see, our landowner, the master, is our Father in heaven who owns all things. As a child and an heir he has said that all that is his is ours. A worker just sees himself as a hired hand. Give me what's mine. While a child knows that all of it is his the vineyard, the wages, everything. A child works for the good of his family and his father's interests. That's the goal for a son and daughter, for that work to be done. Are we more concerned for our own name or the name above all names? Are we stingy with our stuff? Do we desire more? But it all comes from the Lord. It's His, even the rewards, even the stuff. Do we serve Him because of who He is or just because He is our loving Father or because He rewards us and blesses us? You see, workers, hirelings, they scrape by. They only see from a limited perspective. While children are dependent on their father's generosity, they see and trust their father's perspective. Do we see ourselves as sons and daughters who have been given work to do from our Abba, our Papa Father, our Heavenly Father? You see, in this world, wages or money correspond to work done. Or another way to say it is this, pay equal to work done. It's not necessarily bad. I'm not trying to be un-American here. But when we see our service to the Lord that way, we are forgetting the wonderful truth It's all about his grace. You see, our service does not put us in his debt. We do our service at what he's already done for us. You were bought with a price. God allowed his only begotten son to take the penalty for our sin and your sin. He wants and loves you that much. He bought you so that you would be his. God has claim over you. Some of you need to repeat this daily. God has claim over me. I am his. When did it stop being enough that you're his? When did we need something else more than his love? When did we need the flashy ways to serve him? When did we we begin to love the things that God gives us more than God himself? You see, Dave Ramsey, you know, the crazy guru of of money, he would kill me for saying this, so don't tell him. Don't call in his little line. But there is a debt that you cannot repay. So, you know, when they're like, we're debt-free, we say, we owe so much debt. As a Christian, that's what we say. I'm not talking about money. In fact, it's the only debt we can boast in. Because in the Bible, it says, oh, no debt, except the debt of love. It's because of the love of Jesus that we're continually in his debt. He doesn't hold it over our heads. But his love for us is the motivation behind why we serve him. God gave up the most valuable thing to purchase you to erase your sins, his son Jesus on the cross. We we love others because God loved us so much. It's the motivation of why we do what we do, why we serve, because he first loved us. We can never pay him back for what he did for us. We can never pay him back for what he did for us. He thought of you on the cross. And he came, giving up his rights as God for you. He thought of you. When did we need something more than his love, more than being his son or daughter? It's that very relationship that is the greatest prize, the greatest reward. In the Greek, it says they wouldn't take up their wage because they were so angry. And it's a picture, like I was saying earlier, the wages being laid on the table at the end of the day for the workers, and they won't even take it up. They're so angry. You see, those who think they deserve more receive less while those who know they don't deserve anything find true life. It doesn't matter what they have. The greatest prize is Jesus and that relationship. We miss out on what God graciously gives us when our hearts aren't right or when we see from the wrong perspective. We fail to pick up the blessing, and more importantly, we fail to see ourselves as children working for our gracious Father when our eyes are on what God is doing for others around us. In the parable, they had their eyes on the other workers and their rewards, not on the master. Because they had their eyes on others, they wrestled with jealousy rather than resting in his love. They couldn't even rejoice with the other wages that those other workers received. They couldn't see how gracious it was. So often when something good happens to others, our hearts are jealous. Why God? Why did you get them that job? I deserved it. Why did they get that new car? Thanks a lot. Because we equate blessings with his favor or love. Surely if he loves me, he'll do this for me. He'll get me this. It's just not true. David, King David, who wrote a lot the Psalms, a book in the Bible, he says this, he wrestled with it hugely. God, your word says that the righteous prosper. So why do the wicked have money? Why are they at peace? Why do they prosper? Hmm, God, what's up with that, man? Come on, God, I did this so I'd be financially secure. I tithe. I did the right stuff. I worked hard. Where's easy street? We wrestle with this stuff so much. But God is generous, period, to people for different reasons, most of which we can't even comprehend. We need to let him be generous for his reasons. Do you want to wrestle or rest? You see, when we put our eyes on others and compare ourselves, it steals our joy away from our master. Don't do it. When we set our eyes on what the master is giving to other servants, joy evaporates. We miss out on the greatest prize, the greatest reward, the relationship of just knowing Jesus. Isn't that good enough? We revert back to viewing blessings and rewards or even the work we do as our security and not basing it on his unending, undeserved, and unfailing love. We miss out on his love, but we need to be overwhelmed with his grace. You know, the reward for me is getting to know the Savior. Okay, so not all the time, because often I'm desperate to know that I have value, and I seek that value with work. When I do this, I begin to compare myself to others. I have to get my eyes back on Jesus and sit at his feet. Are you at his feet? Is that the greatest place for you to be? Or are you too busy? You have to get to know the king to do the kingdom work. But a lot of people do kingdom work and don't know the king. When it's all said and done, when the stuff gets rusty, The economy fails. When jobs lose their prestige, it's his love that we know and rely on. That relationship, that is our highest calling, to love and be loved. Will you take up his love for you? I think a lot of times we leave it on the table like the workers in the parable, mad because we think God should do this or that. But you know, God is our true security. Moses wrote one psalm in the book of Psalms. The first thing he said, if you remember the story of Moses, they wandered through a desert. They had no security, things that we put our trust in. He says this, Lord, you have been our home all of our days. You've been our true security. If we lose our houses, he didn't say this part, this is me. If we lose our houses, our cars, don't know what the future holds, God is going to get us through. He holds the future in his hands. He's our true security. He's our true house. He's our true health. When did his love stop being good enough? When did you start needing to strive to keep up with other Christians, to get it all right? When did you need the approval of others more than the approval you already have in Jesus? His love is enough. Get rid of the checklist. Get rid of needing to be seen by others. You don't have to be the greatest this or that. You know, earlier I mentioned the difference between what we often think of blessing and what Jesus said. Did you know the root of blessing means to kneel in the Greek? Basically to be bowed down. I think it indicates a few things. Blessings and rewards should be things that lead us to kneel humbly before him in gratitude, no matter what they are, no matter what everybody else gets. When is the last time, as the song goes, you counted your blessings? I also think that that it means in the case of the Beatitudes, what Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit that when circumstances break you down to your knees that God will lift you up to your feet as he lifts your head and says look at me your Abba father your daddy you are blessed because I'm gonna get you through and I'm with you we don't look at circumstances that way but sometimes being blessed means God's gonna carry you through the storm of your marriage of sickness or work Would you serve him if you didn't get the stuff? If life life took a turn for the worse, would you serve God like Jesus did when he had anxiety so great he sweated blood before going to the cross? When he was filled with doubt, knowing he'd be separated from his father for the first time? Would you serve him when you don't know where the money is going to come from to pay the bills? Would you give up something good for something great? Change a job to be with family more? Take a job knowing not where it's going to lead. We all want the bottom line. What's in it for me? Well, what's in it for you? The very presence of the Lord living in you. The greatest prize of all. Sit at his feet. Get your eyes on him. You don't have to be anybody else other than you. You don't need to perform and be good enough for his love. He loves you. Stop pushing away his arms. Don't work to be seen by others. Work for Him. Don't live your life to be attractive to others. Be attractive to Him. You don't need stuff to be happy. You are rich. What has God given you? Everything. He owns it all. And He gave all to have you on the cross, to call you His beloved. As the band comes up, I want to share a quote. It's from a famous missionary named David Livingstone. And really, I think it says it better than I could ever say it. This is what he said. I personally have never ceased to rejoice that God has entrusted me with his service. People talk a lot about the sacrifice involved in devoting my life to Africa, but can this be called a sacrifice at all if we give back to God a little of what we owe him and we owe him so much that we will never pay off that debt? Can that be called a sacrifice which gives us the deepest satisfaction which develops our best powers and gives the greatest of hopes and expectations. Away with this word sacrifice. It is anything but a sacrifice. Rather, call it a privilege. Call it a privilege. Why do you serve the Lord? For some of you today, you're like, I don't even know who the Lord is. You know the cool thing in the parable? It says the master was continually going out looking. For workers, God is calling you today. He's been searching for you, looking for you. He loves you. Will you come and be a part of His family? Will you serve Him? He's looking for you. Just with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to pray. And maybe you haven't accepted Christ in your life and said, I want you to be the master. I want God, my Father, to be the landowner. I want him to be the one that I live life for and I serve and do. Just to yourself, not speaking out loud, if you'll pray this with me. Lord, I don't understand everything. But I need your love. Please forgive me of sin. Put your Holy Spirit in me, Lord. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. And guys, for some of you, you've been a Christ follower for a while. Have you forgotten why you're serving? Come back to your first love. Are you jealous of others? He is jealous for you. It's time to put our eyes on Christ again, to sit at his feet. I want to pray for you. Pray for us. Pray for me. God, we get caught up in the wrong things, Lord. Why, Lord? Why Why is it so crazy and hard sometimes? I just pray for your mercy on us, God. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But give us pure hearts, Lord. Teach us wisdom in our inmost being, God. Let your spirit just lead us on the level ground. Help us to understand and know how to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we enter into a time of singing, it's a response and a remembrance. That's why we worship. It's part of why we worship. Of what God is, who he is, and what he's done. If you'll just stand. And while you're singing, just reflect on what it looks like for you to sit at his feet. You know the song, Count Your Blessings. Maybe you just say, God, thank you for my family. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the good times and the bad times. Thank you for the trials. Thank you for the sickness. Thank you for the health you've given me. Thank you. Be grateful. Be thankful. Don't miss out on the greatest prize that is in the room, the very presence of the living Savior, the Lord. Think upon His grace as we sing.